So the reading for, uh, for today will be from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 19. So Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 19. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with their detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor you were washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloth. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from, from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Uh, with, your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil, and honey I gave you to eat. You offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the sovereign Lord. So the second reading will be from Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, verse 6 to 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and, the, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. 
Good morning, everyone. Uh, may I add my welcome to that of Andres, who added his welcome to that of Klaus. <laughs> it is always great to, to see you all here in Grace Church. It's particularly welcome to, uh, a, a great joy to welcome those who are here for the first time and the friends who are visiting us again. Um, so yeah, let, let's give a few seconds, maybe those who are still calming down, children getting ready for their Sunday school in the park. Wouldn't we love to be in the park, right? Uh, good, yes, they're, they're heading. Well, it is, worth, it is worth restating, right, that this is a, a beautiful day. We can appreciate, um, you know, the weather outside. Um, uh, we, we can express our feelings uh, when, we, when we look out of the window. Uh, we can express our desires. We can actually do that every minute of every hour of every day. Uh, we say things like, you know, I feel so much better now that it gets lighter in the morning, um, early in the morning. At some point in the morning, you, you start to feel hungry, right? And you desire some food. In the same way, we express dislike about, uh, you know, things, particularly if, if that's expired milk that you add to your coffee in the morning. Um, and, and maybe if someone is mean to you in university or work, you express a dislike, right? And often our experience of various feelings and desires is even stronger. We say things like, you know, I love this song, or I love this food. Um, you know, um, I love this thank you card that someone, someone gave me, you know, X or Y. It makes me feel appreciated. And on the other hand, uh, um, we can also express our dislike very strongly about something. We say, you know, I hate this weather particularly if you're around like February or, or, you know, January, February. I hate this weather. Or I hate being pushed around by my boss or, or whatever. So we can express very strong, strong dislike. And sometimes, sometimes things get a bit more complicated. I recently stumbled on someone's Facebook status update saying, before I have coffee, I hate people. Now, after I have coffee, I feel good about hating people. <laughs> and what, what a wicked thing to say, isn't it? So we express our feelings um, and desires. Sometimes they're confusing, right? But we do that every minute of every hour of every day. But how come we have all these feelings? How come we have all these desires? Where are they from? And so today we are going to be starting thinking about this, that we have, we have strong feelings and we have strong desires because we are created by a personal God who himself has strong feelings and strong desires. Now, if you have been with us last week, and Andre is already sort of trying to introduce a little bit of that, we began a new series called God, Marriage, Sexuality and Church. And if you remember, we saw in Genesis 1 how God created man and women as equal opposites who bear the image of God. 
And we saw how at the heart of Genesis 2 is God's institution of marriage. The purpose of marriage being a union in difference, in mutual, exclusive, lifelong relationships. And we saw a pattern for marriage, a public declaration of permanent relationships celebrated in physical union. And now today I want to narrow down and zoom in particularly on the theme of sexuality and its purpose. What is sexuality for? Well, the word sexuality is, is relatively, actually a relatively new word. It is a term that has been increasingly used and abused in our culture. So if you, if you spotted Andres' sarcasm in the morning, uh, in the beginning, and sometimes Christians don't, Christians even don't know if, if we should adapt this term. But I suggest that we do. Because it will help us engage with our culture much better and hopefully win many people over to Christ. So what do we mean when we talk about sexuality? It's helpful to define the terms. In a broad rendering, sexuality refers, again, back to Genesis 1, God's design and pattern for the procreative relationships between male and female. It's almost a dictionary language, right? It's a, a definition. And we see how it flows out of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, for those of you who remember. But in a narrow scope, sexuality refers to the experience of erotic desire. And of course, we see that also in Genesis 2, as Adam praises his wife, as he praises Eve in his song in verse 23. And friends, I think we need both of these definitions so that we can be very clear that the experience of erotic desire in itself is good. Because that is how God has designed us. That is how he has uniquely wired each of us as sexual beings. But why did he do that? Why did God have to do that? So, again, the big question for us today. What is sexuality for? And I honestly think that is a million-dollar question. If only people in our culture would, would um, get the right answer to it, there would be much less pain, there would be much less suffering, there would be less broken hearts, there would be less broken relationships, there would be less abused people. Just think, just think how in life finding what something is actually for is so often a game-changing moment for appreciating and using it properly. Now, I don't know whether you, you've ever spotted these weird pictures from the Latvian students' dorms, but, I mean, they're a bit traumatizing, but I think they're from RTU dorms, where some students have figured out the way to sort of shortcut frying an egg, so they've turned around 
the, the, the iron and, and fried an egg and bacon on it. So obviously these guys haven't discovered yet the real purpose of iron. And they probably look like that, but we saw, we saw only those pictures. Um, well, smart, but a little silly, isn't it? So how would you, how would you answer the question, what is sexuality for? What is its purpose? Now, if you have been a Christian for some time, and some of you, most of you, have been, have been Christian for some time, I bet you might give three fairly, fairly easy answers to the question, and they all are true, they are right, they are from the Bible. In fact, we even began to think about them last Sunday. So if this is your first time, you'll be glad because it's going to be, the first point is going to be a very brief recap of the last Sunday, slightly in a different light. So what is sexuality for? The, the first of, of, of sound good reasons is sexuality is for marital union, right? We already saw last week how human sexuality is clearly in play in the first ever wedding. Glance, glance in Genesis 2, so we will be jumping a little bit. Genesis 2 um, and how God creates the first man and woman. Genesis 2, starting from verse 22. Let's read. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I, I think as we read this, this little account and Adam praising his wife, uh, we could paraphrase this story very easily, right? About being a story about boy that meets girl. They fall in love at first sight. They get married straight away and they experience the joy of sex. Well, it's like Romeo and Juliet, but with a slightly happier ending of it, don't you think? And, and so here is the first reason for sexuality from the very beginning when God's create, God create, from God's creation um, on, on this, of this planet, uh, um, there is, there is um, you know, which was perfect. Sexuality was for marital union. But why, why does Adam and Eve in this union, why do they need to be sexually different? Well, because in the beginning, when things were still perfect, marital union was also about having children. So glance back at chapter 1, verse 27. The second reason for sexuality is having children. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And so, so why, why do they need to be different? Why does humanity come into these two versions, male and female? Because if they both are created in the image of God, sharing the same dignity from God, why not share the same bodies? Why? Well, we wouldn't get very far, would we? Well, uh, someone had taken a picture of the children's Bible and posted on the social media, and it depicted the famous story of how animals and couples were entering Noah's Ark, you know, to preserve the species. And so there was a couple of giraffes and a couple of rhinos and etc. But then a funny detail stuck out. There were two lions that both had a really thick fur around their necks. And the comment above the picture said, well, good luck impairing these two. <laughs> well, there you go. Just to sort of emphasize that and spare an embarrassing biology class review this morning, God had a very good reason for union in difference. It is for making babies. Yes, yes, in this fallen world, not every couple will be able to have children. We live in a fallen world. But it is still the right and good answer to the question, what is sexuality for? So that's the second one. Christians would instinctively give these as the first two answers to the question, what is sexuality for? Our culture, however, would pick the third one as the first. And the third one is sexual pleasure, the third reason. Well, to be honest, I think there has been a time where the church has got these things wrong historically. It only saw homosexuality in terms of marital union and having children. Perhaps this, you know, repressive sexuality mode was a reaction to the liberating sexuality mode that was in, this, in a surrounding culture, perhaps. But it certainly was taken to the extreme. It was actually suggested that sex is nothing to be enjoyed, even in Christian marriage. But the Bible doesn't shy away from sexual pleasure language. The erotic desire should be joyfully experienced within the safe bounds of marriage. Now, here is a few verses um, from here. Are a few verses from the Song of Songs. Please turn to it. It's a it's a lovely read. Song of Songs, chapter seven, verses ten to thirteen. Song of Songs, chapter seven, and we'll read from verses ten to thirteen. So here is the reading. I am my beloved's and his desires for me. The bride gives her love. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and besides our doors 
are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. So the Song of Songs is all about sexual um, desire, erotic desire and love between a man and a woman. Now, let me tell you up front, as, as you were reading this, these two are not planning a 20-kilometer hike in Sabile. Um, why Sabile? Because they have vineyards in Sabile. It's the only place in Latvia. No. They are, these two are heading to the countryside for one and only one reason, to have sex. They are very much looking forward to give each, uh, give each other the pleasure in the ways that God had created their bodies to enjoy. Now, friends, God is not a spoil sport when it comes to sex because it's his idea. He's the creator. He created sex for marital union, having children, and giving pleasure. That's God's good intention. Now, you won't have to say anything or answer any, any questions, but please, may I have hands up today, this morning, if you are married. Just if you are married, can I have hands up? Good. So one, two, well, quite a few, but not nearly half. Quite a few. Well, we might actually consider marriage enrichment day at some point, but there's still quite a few merits here, right? So all the above answers sound, I think they sound like a very, very good news to someone who is married. To a person, you know, of the opposite sex, and they have children, and they are enjoying sex in a marriage. I think then these three reasons are very, very good. And we could say, you know, well done, and, and tap, you know, um, clap yourself on the back. Um, all right, to be fair, to be fair, to be honest, the married ones are having their own difficulties. And they will acknowledge that. What do you expect when two people with damaged and damaging sexualities, you know, end up together? You know, there will be problems. But at least this teaching that we just saw kind of makes sense, makes sense to us and to them. But, and here is my big but and big, big turning point in the talk. But what if, what if you are married and can't have children? We, we live in a fallen world. And what if you are married, but you're not enjoying sex within marriage? And what if you are single and you desire to express um, your sexuality um, in all the, you know, above mentioned three ways, but they are denied to you? Why? Because you're simply not yet married. You are a single Christian. But what if you are a widow? What if you are divorced with a living and breathing sexuality still? And what if you are never going to get married because you are sexually attracted to a person of the same sex? And as a Christian, you strongly believe that same-sex relations are not open to you ever. Now, do you see the tension here? Do you see but what if T 
tension here. Do you see how the three right and good biblical answers to the purpose of sexuality might not be such good news for you personally? And so that is my big concern uh, today. And it might feel more like a slap across the face, you know, rather than a pat on the back. Now, let me press a bit more to the exact, on the exact point of tension that we have. One pastor retold his conversation with a student who was struggling to embrace, you know, his sexuality towards the, the end of his teens. And here is what the student said to the pastor. Why can't God just zap people with a sexuality on their wedding day? When he finally allows them to use it, why give them sexual desire they have to repress and feel sometimes guilty about until the day they get married and are finally allowed to express what our sexuality is for? Now, I mean, you can feel almost, you know, you can feel his frustration in his 20s. Now, he has a point. And I think he could be representing so many church-going students around the world. And not only students. Though so many of those guys have turned their backs on churches uh, teaching on biblical, sort of teaching on sexuality. And that's all because they, they simply can't relate to it. God has granted me something that I am forbidden to experience. It seems cruel. It seems unlovable. It seems simply undoable. I don't know. What do you think about this so far? Are the right and good biblical answers to the purpose of a sexuality good news to you personally? Well, I think we can respond in a number of ways to this question. As I was pondering, I thought, well, how do you respond to this question? I, I, I think we can pretend, firstly, that we are not hearing this at all. You know, sort of just, just lock it quickly. I mean, we can still pay a lip service to God's good creation design for man and woman. But at the same time, just, just bury the whole the whole sexuality topic under the business of life, under the activity of life. A Christian guy that I know sometimes struggles expressing his sexuality rightly. And his solution is to keep himself busy. He would really work hard. He would work long hours. And he would decompress by doing sports, doing a lot of sports, rather than by watching pornography. So that's his solution. But do you see how, how this solution only deals with the consequences? But that is how he copes with the topic of sexuality. Don't think about it. But friends, not thinking about it at all can prove to be really dangerous. So I think another response to it is the danger we can embrace worldly view of sexuality. You know, whatever, whatever feels right is right. It can't be wrong. If it feels natural, it's right. 
It doesn't matter, you know, what two consenting adults do in their private, you know, chambers, bed bedroom, providing no one gets hurt. It's kind of a mantra of this culture and similar nonsense. So is there any way for Christians forward? And I mean, not just for the individual Christians, but for the whole church of Christ, is there any way forward for the Christian church about the topic of sexuality? How might the subject of sexuality be a uniting factor amongst the people of God? Instead of being you know, some, something that hurts, creates divisions and puts people in various boxes, you know, you know married singles and widows, divorce, etc., etc. Well, I suggest there is another way to think about the purpose of sexuality. So what is sexuality really for? And here is going to get a bit, bit sort of uh, tricky, so you might want to follow extra hard. Um, the American pastor, John Piper, rings any bells? I'm not sure. John Piper, John Piper in his book, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, writes this. It's going to be a slightly lengthy quote. The ultimate reason, not the only one, why we are sexual is to make God more deeply knowable. The language and imagery of sexuality are the most graphic and most powerful that the Bible uses to describe the relationships between God and his people, both positively, when we are faithful, and negatively, when we are not. Now, it turns out that there is good news for those of us for one, who, for one or the other reason, can't have erotic experience of sexuality, and it is good news to those who can have it. Why? Because, according to the Bible, the erotic experience of our sexuality is not God's ultimate goal for his people. I mean, if that would be our ultimate goal, we would start to worship sex, worship nuclear family, or be devastated when we can't have one or the other. But what exactly is John Piper saying? He's arguing that the chief reason we have God-given sexuality is to help us grasp the full passion of God's love for us, his people, his church, and the horrific pain he feels when we walk away from him. Now, to put it in other words, um, he says again, our sexual feelings are a reference point for us in communicating the full power of God's loving feelings towards us and how awful it is when we are unfaithful, him says Piper. Now, instead of, of it being, you know, one pastor somewhere in, the, in America said it, let us see it for ourselves. And I hopefully the Ezekiel 16 reading is going to make some sense. Maybe if you have a finger in Ezekiel 16, you might flip back to, to, to the text. This is something that we actually encountered in Ezekiel 16 reading this morning. 
So what, what was it about? What was it about? What is God telling us here in Ezekiel 16? Just think as, as, as you, as you um, go through with your eyes. Right, children are going to travel back to their, to their room. Just think about it. Isn't it a heartbreaking love story of how God takes pity on his people? How God takes pity on his people that are not really lovable? And we see that in verse 6. And we see more of the sexual marriage language in verse 7 and 8. Let's read it from verse 7 and 8. Just listen. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown. Yet you were naked and bare when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. But then we read further about how God's people run off. They run off with the idols. God bestowed so many gifts um, to his uh, beautiful wife, but she shared these gifts with another verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on, an, on a passerby. Your beauty became his. Well, I mean, you have to be completely blind and deaf not to see or hear sexual language here. It's just all over the place. But the question again is why? Why does God choose to express himself in this way? Why? Now, friends, he knows us. He knows us. He knows us because he has created us with this inbuilt capacity for sexual feelings. He knows that this story will connect with us in much, much deeper level. We will feel both God's passion. He knows that we will feel both God's pain as we recognize how the wife's behavior towards her husband is mirrored in our own treatment of our creator God time and time again. And prophet Ezekiel is not the only prophet. We have Hosea too. He's communicating the same, the same idea. So what is sexuality really for? And I suggest from today that we have a God-given sexuality to help us grasp the full passion of God's love for us his church, his people. As we reflect on Ezekiel 16, we should spot how God can't take his eyes off the bride. You know how, um, how this, this famous song goes, can't take my eyes off you. That is how God can't take his eyes off his bride, his church. 
Now, I'm not suggesting we should adapt, you know, in the church, so-called Jesus boyfriend, <laughs> Jesus girlfriend songs. It's, um, you know, but again, but I, I'm just wondering that if by shying away from the genre altogether, completely, the evangelical Christians have robbed themselves of this aspect of the knowledge of God and his love for us. Again, hear me properly. I think the congregational songs need to be singable to God or to one another. You know, Jesus' girlfriend, boyfriend songs are slightly embarrassing. But there is something about these songs. There is. So why do I have such powerful, passionate sexual feelings? To make my life miserable? Because I can't express them in a marriage to someone of the opposite sex? Is that the reason why I have them? No, they exist to make my life more joyful. As they help me to begin to appreciate God's love for me. Our sexuality helps us grasp the full intensity of how God can't take his eyes of his beloved people. Well, I think, however, that even this answer can leave us slightly wanting. Because at the end of the day, we might be asking a question, all right, but to what end? To what end is this all? And so we need to see an even greater spiritual significance and value behind it. You see, the marriage institution of this creation foreshadows another marriage in the new creation. I don't know how good your biblical theology is, but that is a fact. Human sexuality in this creation helps us appreciate the story of God's love that finds its fulfillment in the new creation. Both of these things point us to where the whole world is heading. The human history began with a marriage in the Garden of Eden, and the human history will end with another wedding. This is going to be another union in difference between God's son, Jesus, and God's people, the church. And that's our other reading, Revelation 19. Glance again at, at, at this one of these final, final praise songs in Revelation. Revelation 19. They are about the big wedding. Revelation 19, verse 6. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Well, just to be clear, we are talking about a spiritual union and difference, just in case someone is sort of getting slightly confused. So, so Jesus' boyfriend-girlfriend songs have, have a limited value and a limited application. 
marriage between a man and a woman will end with this world. It will end. Jesus says that. In heaven, no one will marry. In heaven, no one will be given in marriage. This is for this creation. And same goes for sex and sexuality. They are here only for this creation. That's it. But they teach us and they help us appreciate the coming greater reality. The blissful wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride. Now, friends, I will put a, I will put a full stop here today. And next week, we will think about whether this picture works actually in practice. Because kind of in, it sounds all nice in theory, right? Um, so we'll think next week about whether it works in practice. But before we close, let me summarize some of the, the key ideas for us this morning. So, sex and sexuality are good. Sexuality plays central role in God's design and pattern for the procreative relationships between male and female. He has made us to be sexual beings. Secondly, sexuality is definitely for the marital union, having children and sexual pleasure. But this purpose of sexuality is only good news for those who are married to someone of the opposite sex, can have children and enjoy sex in the marriage. But what about the rest of us? And here's the, the turning point. The ultimate purpose behind our sexuality is to appreciate God and grasp the full force of his love for his people, for his church both in our faithfulness to him and also in our unfaithfulness to him. And that is because marriage and sexuality in this creation point to a greater spiritual reality of the wedding between